It's the 14th of January, 2021. Uh, I don't know where you were on the 14th of January of 2020, of 2019, 2018, or 2017, but I'm pretty sure you never thought it would be like it is today. Now, I thought with uh, all this stuff going around, (laughs) all this malinformation, half information, maybe that we could take kind of a step back in time and forward and back and forward so that we can see a few things. See, there's a lot of people out there that are (laughs) supposed reporters, and I'm glad some of you caught it. Uh, You know, they were talking about Biden and the cartels, right? I had written an article about it almost a year ago. But there's a lot of misinformation, and it's purposeful. And I say this so many times that people, all they have to do is take a 40,000-foot view, and you can see that it's just them. So much, so much. So we're going to step back into time and talk about things we've talked about and look into things that I was bringing attention to that no one really gave a shit about. Because you're going to see how this comes forward. (laughs) 2021, my ass. All right, here we go. Where do we start? Should we start with the January 6th news, right? Because there's a lot of stuff that we could do on that. Should we start on that from the top? Meaning, which one? Which one? Hmm. See, the, the beauty of misinformation is that sometimes it is necessary, right? Sometimes. But I like transparency. A lot of people don't like that. You know, that's too aggressive. <laughs> I don't have time for this. I'm on a tight schedule. It's almost 2028. I'm on a tight schedule and it's okay. You don't have to like the way it is. So maybe we could start at the beginning, start kind of in the middle. I think we're going to go back and forth. How's that? Let's travel through time together to do that. Let's just put our little TARDIS. So where do we start? Hmm, Let's get to Federique. This is going to be fun. So today has been an amazing Friday. It's been on fire. Literally. been on fire, literally. For some reason, I know it's fire Friday, but for some reason I thought it was Wednesday. Go figure, right? Go figure. We have a lot coming out. So Federique was released from jail. 
Federique is Enrique Tario, who's the head of the Proud Boys. Apparently he was in jail just because he was, he burnt a BLM flag. <laughs> How weird is that? You know, he built, he burned a BLM flag uh, and at the airport where I was having a cigarette, he was being arrested a few feet down from me because he brought in uh, a weapon, but it wasn't a weapon. It was a magazine. And, and then he was withheld and then, and then, and then, and then. So now he's out of jail. Was he involved in the whole January 6th? Nobody knows because he was being detained and he was debriefing all the plans and all the sets. See, I love hating on Federico. I love it. Uh, but you know, a lot of people be like, but there's good feds. Yeah, there are, <laughs> there are good feds. There are good feds. So that happened. Oh, how weird is that? January 6th. Dang. But then we had charges for sedition, right? You know, they get their panties in the twist. January 6th, it was a riot. They all like ran in there. Well, what about the church right outside the White House that was torched? What about the Justice Building? That's a federal building too. That was torched and attacked importantly. That doesn't count, right? <laughs> You know, for some reason, the Capitol Police were not prepared, which makes zero sense because in September and October and November and December and January, well, Millie had communicated. I, I we delegated Millie. I'll work my back channels. You call DHS. You call the Capitol Police and provide them all their operations. Every single one. Please. So she called the police. She called DHS. There are emails between her and them. And I work my back channels. Reporters, staffers, agency, people I may know, people that I may think are on the good side of the FBI. And let's not forget that every time some information was recorded, it was always sent to the FBI. So they already knew. Okay. They all ready new. We, Tori says listeners, knew their plans in October. We knew them at the end of September. We knew them in November. We knew it all. And actually we knew that they were going to steal the election in the summer of 2020. When I told you that, um, the media is going to call the president. And you know, it's funny. People keep thinking the elections weren't stolen. It's the most insane thing I've ever heard. I was like, preposterous, you know, preposterous. Like, how could he say that? Doesn't he understand? Hmm. Listen to an interview that was cut very short on NPR with President Trump that happened just a couple days ago. Take a listen. Oops. They have commercials, of course, on NPR. So let's just wait it out so we can skip that ad. Skipped. There we go. News here. South Dakota Senator Mike Rounds, as I think you know, was on ABC over the weekend. He spoke about the 2020 election and also referred to the election campaign that is now starting in 2022. Let's listen. We simply did not win the election as Republicans for the presidency. And if we simply look back and tell our people don't vote because, you know, there's cheating going on then we're going to put ourselves in a, in, a, in a huge disadvantage. A couple of things to ask about there, Mr. President. Let's start with the politics. Is it a disadvantage for Republicans to keep talking about the 2020 election in 2022? No, I think it's an advantage because otherwise they're going to do it again in 22 and 24. 
and Rounds is wrong on that, totally wrong. Uh, if you look at the numbers, if you look at the findings in Arizona, if you look at what's going on in Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, by the way, and take a look at Wisconsin, they're finding things that nobody thought possible. This was a corrupt election. I just have to point out Doug Logan to name one of the states that you just named. Doug Logan, who ran the audit in Arizona that was set up by your allies, didn't find serious problems. This is a quote, the ballots that were provided to us to count in the Coliseum very accurately correlate with the official canvas numbers. All right. So with his allies, did you hear that? Uh, Doug Logan with his allies, you know, cyber ninjas still has a big fat bill to pay. They need to pay that. They work for the American, but for some reason people think, Oh, well, Patrick Burns got money. He's just gonna pay for everything. These people stuck their neck out and did. And canvas is one thing, but that's cherry picking words. It's like when someone says, hey, Tori, you you um, you were convicted of a crime in Oregon. Uh, actually, it wasn't a crime. It was throwing burning materials out of a car, which was a and I pled it down to a traffic violation because apparently a cigarette falling out of a window in a car is considered a crime in the state of Oregon, even when it's raining. So get your facts straight. See, cherry picking cherry picking again cherry picking words that logan said he raised a bunch of administrative issues but didn't find a problem that would have changed the result at all the ballots may correspond but look at the ballots themselves the number of ballots doesn't mean anything it's who signed the ballots where did the ballots come from what you really have to do in that report is look at the findings and the findings are devastating for arizona they're devastating like nobody's seen before why did and why other did your, states are just as bad why did republican officials in arizona accept the results then because they're rhinos and frankly a lot of people are questioning that why would they they fought very hard the maricopa county people and uh, people don't understand it because all you have to do is look at the findings. And uh, just so you know, some of those people went before Congress uh, a short while ago, and they were grilled by uh, Congressman Biggs. You ought to take a look at their testimony. They weren't able to answer anything. He made them look like fools. They couldn't answer a thing. They got up and gave a beautiful statement. And then when it came time to ask why this, why that, what about these votes? What about those votes? They look like total fools. Don't worry. Tori's got this. Okay. Don't worry. I will break open this Dominion shit like nobody's business. Like nobody's business. I am the only one that has standing, right? Only one that has standing. I'm suing the crap out of Dominion. And I hope all of you pray and support my attorneys because this is really, really <laughs> the only not, it's not the only, <laughs> but this is where we put all of them in a box. Because when you see that they conspired with the media, geez, it's going to hurt. But I can't talk a lot about it because that makes me a very unruly client and difficult for my lawyers. <laughs> it makes it very, very, very difficult for my lawyers. But um, I have, I mean... When we sat down and went through it, I was like, I, I am fuming because there were three different operations conducted during these, um, uh, you know, whole, uh, let's check the elections. Arizona really wanted to get it done, really wanted to get it done. So we had the cyber ninjas and Patrick Byrne putting the first foundation of the bill. That costs a lot to get an arena, to get people. And uh, they, they spent so much money and so much time. 
they got it all done, right? And then there were other teams that were coming. Then we had protesters and infiltrators. They had come in and they destroyed their efforts because everybody wanted to be a hero. Everybody wanted to um, uh, be someone. Oh, I'm the important one. I'm taking this home. I'm mine, 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 mine. And everyone started to be, um, you know, the centerpiece of it. Like, oh, I can take this home or I'm an expert in this or I'm an expert in that. And it's like, guys, this is embarrassing. Like, I actually have to come out and say, hey, I've been part of screwing over millions of people globally. And, and I am owning it and putting it out there. Because there was no way I could say something before. Who was I going to tell? When I hear people saying it, just imagine. Let's hop back into time. Let's go to 2005. After they got caught stealing the elections from the Democrats. <laughs> yes, they did. And so, was I going to tell my commander-in-chief <laughs> when he orchestrated it? Who was I going to tell? CNN? Fox? New York Times? Washington Post? Let me guess. Would I get on the internet? I'm sorry. Facebook wasn't around then. All right. Who was I going to tell? So what do you do? You target their peripheries. And you make sure that certain people in the Senate, certain people in Congress get information. None of them did anything. Then, you know, after 2008, when Obama was in, a few good people accidentally got into office and they grilled people and moved people and asked questions. But yet still nothing. So, you know, when I hear people saying, you knew and you were part of well, what the hell was I supposed to do? Say, I'm out of this. <laughs> no, I'm going to consistently stay on top of it. I'm going to pay attention carefully. And when the time is right, I will annihilate. How do you destroy a tank? Have you seen that movie? When, uh, what was that movie with the hacking, right? Big hacking thing. And then the government goes and finds someone that they had locked away in prison from a kid because he had hijacked something. And then they took the prisoner from inside that cell and said, you were the best. We need your help. How many movies of that have you seen, right? So you always go to the people that know. And um, you try your best, right? You try your ultimate best. So I know um, that, um, you know, my attorneys sat down with a lot of other attorneys, okay? Not one or two. There's a lot of people. Um scholars, because this is a big deal, you know, big deal. And, you know, sometimes a lot of people have to understand, and I appreciate this of President Trump. We're going to continue listening to him. I appreciate this of him. In order for you to fully appreciate what love and compassion is, you must break bread with the people you know will betray you because only then you will understand their ways and be able to see them coming faster. 
Remember, who are the people that are defendants in my case right now? Dominion, Media Matters, Huffington Post, Ali Akbar, and Congressman Cohen. Those are the five people defending themselves. There were another three, but you know what? I'm in federal court now and I should sue them in another state. It's just dead weight right now. I don't need them right now. That's for another time, see? Because what happens with Media Matters ties into the people I cut loose. Oh, and then it ties people that were once close to me. So it's gonna be pretty, pretty wise. It's gonna be a wild ride. So I want you guys to understand that um, this year is gonna be crazy. I know it's gonna be really hard for me and I'm okay with that. Because you either fight or you roll over and we all have to decide where we're at. This is why when I started writing for, um, you know, uh, right-wing journals, I, I was writing for the Huffington Post. I had a column, right? When I was writing, I was always writing with my tone, towing the line just like all reporters do, only to be able to learn and build. Then I went to big league politics where I had the privilege to see that genius mind of Patrick Halley, the way he thinks, right, is so insane. Like, he's so good. And he gave me um, the courage because I didn't want to write with my name. I would give stories to editors and he put my name on it. And I was like, no, 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 put yours. He's like, no, you did this. You deserve this. And I'm like, but you rewrote it. I suck at writing. It's like bullet points here, 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 here. And so, um, you know, we'll see how everything um, comes forward in, in what, what kind of padding we can have, but it's coming out. And um, in like about a week or so, we're waiting for them to file motions so that, you know, we can file ours. Uh, we've done our homework. We've been ready for this um, since last year. And I'm, you know, the way it works is the first fraud that I wanted to report happened in Ohio that, that they got caught and it was in an implicated Tennessee. I mean, how weird is it that in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where the fraud was discovered, right? Is where I have my case. And then the cases that I have for fraud and other things, even unconstitutional mandates, right? Are in front of the judge right now, who was the one presiding over the fraud, the election fraud who unfortunately couldn't proceed with the court trials against them for election fraud because the primary suspect died in a plane accident. So there's Tennessee and Ohio so closely linked. See, this is how it works. And then before that, right, if you dig, 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 like when I saw when, when Millie put up our chart that we had, and I saw a few companies. I was like, I know this guy. Now I know why people freaked out. But that's going to come out in the case, so I can't talk about it. But I wanted to show you and inspire you to understand that when things have to happen the way they are, they come the way they're supposed to come. 
If Tennessee was the forefront for the 2004 election fraud, when we had first deployed those electronic machines, right? And it had to do with Ohio. And I'm now in the 17th state. I mean, from day one when I came, holy Toledo, right? And now it's pinging back there. And I just so happened to be under the one judge that was presiding over the election fraud. Yeah, hey. Hey. I mean, that's just coincidence, of course, right? Sometimes things are unfinished. And you're going to see why Ohio is very important in this, uh, in today's show. You're going to see. So let's continue with President Trump, who's now pretty much being told very not nice things by, uh, you know, um, Stephen Inskeep. I mean, he's NPR. He's State Department. He's not going to fall out of line. But don't worry. We'll uncover that. Let me uh, read you some short quotes. The first is by one of the judges, one of the 10 judges you appointed who ruled on this. And there were many judges, but 10 who you appointed. Brett Ludwig, U.S. District Court in Wisconsin, who was nominated by you in 2020. He's on the bench and he says, quote, this court allowed the plaintiff the chance to make his case and he has lost on the merits. Another quote, Corey Langhofer, your own campaign attorney in Arizona, November 12, 2020, quote, we are not alleging fraud in this lawsuit. We are not alleging anyone stealing the election. And also Rudy Giuliani, your lawyer, November 18, 2020 in Pennsylvania, quote, this is not a fraud case. Your own lawyers had no evidence of fraud. They said in court they had no evidence of fraud. And the judges ruled against you every time on the merits. It was too early to ask for fraud and to talk about fraud. Rudy said that because of the fact it was very early with the because that was obviously at a very, very that was a long time ago. The things that have found out have more than bore out what people thought and what people felt and what people found. Uh, when you look at Langhafer, I disagree with him as an attorney. I did not think he was a good attorney to hire. I don't know what his game is, but I will just say this. You look at the findings, you look at the number of votes, go into Detroit and just ask yourself, is it true that there are more votes than there are voters? Look at Pennsylvania, look at Philadelphia. Is it Hold on, let's rewind that for a bit. It was too early to ask for your lawyer, November 18, 2020, in Pennsylvania, quote, this is not a fraud case. Your own lawyers had no evidence of fraud. They said in court they had no evidence of fraud. And the judges ruled against you every time on the merits. It was too early to ask for fraud and to talk about fraud. Rudy said that because of the fact it was very early, with the because that was obviously at a very, very, that was a long time ago. The things that have found out have more than bore out what people thought and what people felt and what people found. Uh, when you look at Langhafer, I disagree with him as an attorney. I did. Your lawyer, November 18, 2020, in Pennsylvania, quote, this is not a fraud case. Your own lawyers had no evidence of fraud. They said in court they had no evidence of fraud, and the judges ruled against you every time in the merits. It was too early to ask for fraud and to talk about fraud. Rudy said that because of the fact wow. it was very early. With the because that was obviously at a very very that was a long time ago. The things that have found out have more than bore out what people thought and what people felt and what people found. Uh, when you look at Langhafer, I disagree with him as an attorney. I did not think he was a good attorney to hire. I don't know what his game is, but I will just say this: you look at the findings, you look at the number of votes. Go into Detroit. And just ask yourself, is it true that there are more votes than there are voters? Look at Pennsylvania. Look at Philadelphia. Is it true that there were far more votes 
than there were voters. It is not true Gee, that there were far. Tough thing it, to, it that's is not a pretty true. tough problem. It is not true that there were far more votes than voters. There was an early count. I've noticed you've talked about this in rallies, and you've said reportedly this is true. I think even you know that that was an early report that was corrected later. Well, you take a look at it. You take a look at Detroit. In fact, they even had a hard time getting people to sign off on it because it was so out of balance. They called it out of balance. So you take a look at it. You know the real truth, Steve. And this election was a rigged election. Why is it that you think that the vast majority of your allies in the United States Senate are not standing behind you? We did. Ooh, ooh, Mimi. Ooh, ooh, Mimi. You should, you know what? I should actually share the screen so you could see this clown's face. Hold on a second. You should see this clown's face. I mean, Anthony Blinken is his boss after all. So, I mean, for real, though, look at his face. Like, he's like, oh, why aren't they behind you? It's like, because they're all self-preservationists, dude. They were told by the RNC, you shut up or you get no money. Do you guys remember how big corporations said, we're not funding you if you think that, you know, <laughs> there's a fraud. We're not funding you. Remember when they said it? Kind of sounds like blackmail. Hey, you'll never run again. I'm going to take away your gym membership. You'll never be in office again. And all of them stood in line. All freaking sellouts. One by one. Have that statement by Mike Rounds. Because Mitch McConnell is a loser. And frankly, Mitch McConnell, if he were loser. Uh, on the other side and if Schumer were put in his position, he would have been fighting this like you've never seen before. He would have been fighting this because when you look at it and this is long is a long way from over. You know what I remember? Do you guys remember the 2004 elections, how they called about fraud, how they investigated it because John Kerry lost? Right. The same clowns that are in D.C. now, these rhinos, were also around right then, right? And all of them cried. Kerry won, because he fucking did. But Bush had so much after 9-11. So much data, so many electronics, and so much secrecy, right? So again, John Kerry had won Ohio. And they stole it from him. And who ran the election fraud? I want you to think. Yep, it was Bush. And in comes John Owen Brennan right after that debacle. And then stands by Senator Obama in Illinois and becomes his confidant, uh, who, who, by the way, was already in the CIA, <laughs> but then left and started working with Obama, groomed the shit out of him, set up these operations overseas, copied everything that Bush did. Man, you guys, it's not that complicated. Take a step back, travel to 2004 and kind of take a look. Take a look. And boy, things start to make super sense, right? Super sense, super sense. But again, is the selected clown and resident in the White House really the president? <laughs> losers. All of them are losers. Wait till you see how our president handles this loser. You take a look at what's going on now in Pennsylvania. Take a look at what's going on in Wisconsin. You just take a look. Now, we had a lot of cases where the judges wouldn't hear them. We had a case in Nevada 
that was so good. When you read the papers, it's impossible. The judge refused to even listen to it. We had many cases. In fact, they say, and I can't testify because it's been through a lot of systems, a lot of different systems, but they say, and they say very strongly, the judge is just, nobody's really gotten a chance to look. Look at the United States Supreme Court. They refused to hear the case. And you had, I they guess, said there was no standing to give the case. That's correct. Well, Can yeah, I just no ask? No standing. I know. No standing. And the president of the United States supposedly didn't have standing either. So I wanted to. Don't worry, but I do. I do. They, they defamed me. They libeled me. They, they claim that I perjured myself. I have standing. Violet myself. They said, sir, you don't have standing. I said, wait a minute. I'm the president of the United States. They just rigged an election. Hundreds of thousands of votes in different states. They just rigged an election. We got, we got a number of votes that I think you'll agree. No sitting president has ever gotten a number of votes that I got. No a lot sitting of votes. president That's true. has ever in gotten a lot of, lot no of you, sitting president. You, I, nobody believes. You think Biden no, got 80 million votes? It's, it's true. I don't believe it's it. It's true that you, you got more got than any sitting, sitting president in, in the election that disputed. How come um, he couldn't? Then if I can, Mr. Biden, President, Mr. President, let me ask you this question. How come Biden couldn't attract 20 people for a crowd? How come when he went to speak in different locations, nobody came to watch? But all of a sudden he got 80 million votes. If you if you forgive that, me, maybe because the election was that. about you. If I can just move on to ask, are you telling Republicans in 2022 that they must press your case on the past election in order to get your endorsement? Is that an absolute? They're going to do whatever they want to do. Whatever they have to do, they're going to do. But the ones that are smart, the ones that know, you take a look at, again, you take a look at how Carrie Lake is doing, running for governor. She's very big on this issue. She's leading by a lot. People have no idea how big this issue is, and they don't want it to happen again. It shouldn't be allowed to happen, and they don't want it to happen again. I wanna... And the only way it's not going to happen again is you have to solve the problem of the presidential rigged election of 2020. Uh, Mr. So, President, Steve, thank if you I'm... Very much. Wait, 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 I one more it. question. I want to ask about a court hearing yesterday on January 6th. Judge Amit Mehta, he's gone. Okay. He clicked. He's like, see ya. He hung up. President Trump hung up. That is how you treat losers, right? Losers, losers that don't care what you say. They just say, well, while I have your attention, well, let me circle back to this, you know, just so they get losers. It's like you're cut, man. That's it. That's all I had to say. So, you know, standing, I'm going to tell you something through my case. There are four states right now wanting to decertify the elections, but they can't. So all of you just pray, support my attorneys, keep them in your prayers, right? Because right now, when this case goes forward, we need to move it, move it, move it, move it fast. Because all they need is one thing. And then boom, they start decertifying. That's the only way. They claim they can't do anything. huh? But you know what's funny? In Wisconsin... They skipped over my affidavit. In Arizona, they skipped over. Actually, my affidavit was litigated, litigated, brought to the attention, and the judge said, no, we're not listening to this one. Judge decided not to listen to mine. Why? Because as a judge, he saw that I cited and sourced every single thing. And he also saw that I pointed exactly to what had happened and how it happened. 
I can even get a list of names of all the idiots that were standing in those election states because they already exist from 2014. <laughs> so they skipped over my stuff. Ali Akbar, who's a defendant, has to explain why he had special knowledge how my affidavit that has never been challenged. No one can contest what I put in my affidavit. No one can. What are you going to say? That's not an EAC document. Are you going to say that's not an Obama directive? Are you going to say, what are you going to say in there that you can refute with a hundred percent certainty? Absolutely nothing. In fact, all the canvassing, all the uh, cyber stuff, all the stuff that came out of Maricopa validates my affidavit. So he's going to have to explain how he totally knew that that was not correct. I'd like to see how he's going to do that. It's going to be quite interesting because I was always the Kraken. Nobody else was. I was because I actually know how these machines work. I know how the algorithms work. I don't care how they think that they can fine tune it. You don't change frogs. They exist. It is one pattern. You can, uh, you know, accentuate it. You can um, make it a little bit more intricate. But the bottom line is comes in, goes out with instructions, period. So I am the actual Kraken. But, you know, Red Stringers, social media, all these people were what, 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 what. Millie Weaver actually did a report on who the Kraken really is. And so they all defamed me by laughing at the Kraken. I was the Kraken, me. I think I actually mentioned it before the elections. Let's release the Kraken and let's do it. And I was contemplating this for a long, long time, a very long time. Millie and Gavin know, they know how hard I, I work. They also knew when I was withholding information, when we were working on the Kentucky stuff, I didn't want to get in too much to it because it was dangerous territory. Our phones, their phones were being hacked in 2019. My life went pear-shaped on the same day that my life was like, my private life was being destroyed. I was being served at the same time. Like, what are the odds? They didn't want this coming out. They did not want this coming out but that's okay. That is a hundred percent. Okay. Because no matter how much someone wants to throw shit to a fire that burns to the light of truth, no matter how much they do, I'm sorry, burn, burn, burn. That is what you'll do. You come close to the light. You will dissipate. It's kind of like vampires when they come out to the light. They, ah, right. Ah, Truth roars like nobody's business. You can sling mud at it. It'll just make it roar more. You throw crap at it. It'll just roar more. You try to cover and smother the light. You surround it in darkness. You step on it. The light will still be there. And at one point, it will just take over. And no matter what anyone has said, hate me. Later, you're going to be telling people how you knew me. That's how it is. Now, for me, I'm okay with it. Really, I am okay with it, but I'm not. 
I also get my feelings hurt. I also get sad, right? And that's true. But I have to remember that it's not about me, right? It's not about me. Because I won't be here soon. And then what? So let's go back into time now. Let's go back into time. Let's talk about Ohio for a second, right? Just just a little bit. We're going to go back into time. We're going to talk a little bit about Ohio because it's kind of relevant today. And I'll tell you why. So this is an episode from uh, July 18th. Oh, should I do that one? No, let's do July 8th first. Let me, let me stop that. Let's go to July 8th, right? Because this is very important for today. It's almost as if it's all coming out right now as I tinker with the idea of taking on Ohio. July 8th, 2019. Let's listen to what I have to say. They were broke. They were dead broke. Well, they were raising funds all up until, let me take a look. When did this um, fund close? 2003. So they had this fund up until 2003 for five years. Well, that was a registration, so I don't know how long it went. Um, and this is just one state, right? Because all the other states have pretty much purged things, purged things. So it's pretty incredible that they had a company that was Enron itself. So it was like Enron one, Enron two, XYZ company, XYZ company, XYZ one company, XYZ two. So Enron was like 500 companies as well. It was like a little mirror. Hence the whole pyramid scheme, the bubble, the Ponzi scheme, et cetera, et cetera. And in the middle of it are the Clintons guys. So I have to wonder, I have to wonder what caused them to suddenly out of the blue, 19 years later to say, oh, hey, court, can we like close this case and purge it, please? Why 19 years later? What triggered them in April of 2019 to me. file that motion and then get some action done in June of this year, just last month? This is the question. What prompted them to start to cover tracks? What prompted them to do these kind of things. And why was it registered as a foreign entity? Who was it registered under? I found everything. So, uh, you know, this is a pretty huge story. It is breaking. Uh, you know, I'm putting it out there so people know this is how I found it. I was checking out because sultans and other foreign business people were making tons of money investing in this company and getting a payout. Now, I haven't been able to get many records because no one is giving them to me. And an email that I received today um, for one of them said, um, because of the age of the entities, the information you seek will take a considerable amount of time because the above references will need to be researched. Now, these this company that had the same name across the nation was... Pretty much, you know, uh, registered agents were funds. So they were like energy fund managers, hedge fund managers, and law firms. So that's crazy. And remember, with Enron, a lot of hardworking people 
lost their pensions, right? A lot of hard, but you know, the Clintons line their pocket and I don't know why the Clintons haven't been held accountable for this. I'm pretty sure that the whole reason they set up this legal fund was not for the, for the, for the rape, not for the kinky, not for the impeachment, not even for the Epstein pimping or whatever, not even for uranium one. Cause that came way later. You know, they had a take their chick from Priya from the Department of Energy down to the Department of Energy, uh, the Department of Treasury, where she was at up until 2017 and in constant contact with Peter Strzok to delete stuff. So it's not the uranium one that she was worried about. She was worried about this one. And you know why? Because almost all of Congress will go down with that the minute that's exposed. Because I could tell you what, I've already found Blumenthal. Pelosi, Nadler, Bloomberg, de Blasio from way before then, they were all taking part in this company. They were making money. So this can take down every single person you see up there that's foaming at the mouth the minute they see or hear, they see a picture of President Trump or hear his voice, they foam at the mouth. When Hillary Clinton said, you know, if he gets, you know, if I go down, I'm taking all of Congress with me. She was not lying. We are talking about one of the biggest scandals. Enron totally shut up. Everybody kind of, it was such a mashup, right? None of you actually know what happened. But remember, months ago, I told you, I did a lot of internships, lots of them in England, lots of them in the late 90s and early thousands, right? I've said that. I've worked for the United Bank of Switzerland, Goldman Sachs, Bear Stearns. I mean, I've got, you know, um, tax filings from overseas that show that these internships. So I know exactly what I'm talking about when I tell you these foreign entities and how it goes. No one ever, no one is ever going to understand what happened with Enron because it's so muddy for that specific reason, because they don't want you to know. They just want to show that it went a little bit out of control. And when a specific country that was an investor decided to pull out and said, I'm not doing this uh, because, you know, we could keep doing this. But at some point it's going to pop. Um, you know, they couldn't cover it. That's basically what happened. They tried to create this Jedi company. They tried to create this company and they were giving the financials themselves, blowing things up when they weren't existent. Then they got this other company, a fictitious company that was part of Enron that they used as a front saying, oh, this is our new investment. Everybody get hyped up, invest. And then it all went pear-shaped because people discovered it was the same company. And what they discovered was what I'm telling you, there were 50 companies that were mirrors of Enron. They were the same exact company. This is how they made their money. So like it would be company XYZ would say, oh, I have interest in Enron Buy me. So you would buy XYZ for $5, right? And XYZ would buy, you know, Enron for $2. Enron would get you know, $2 XYZ would keep $3. And then you have ABC that says buy me because I can get XYZ. And so you're buying ABC pretending that they're buying Enron, but they're really buying XYZ. Okay. Let me do it this way. Company one, two Enron, right? So we've got Enron buy my stock. It's 50 bucks. And you're like, great buying your stock now. Then you have somebody else saying, Hey, buy my stock. Cause I own 
uh, parts. I ho- I own a huge chunk of Enron and I can get you Enron stock for four bucks. And then you're like, sure, uh, 40 bucks. Sure. I'm buying it 40 bucks for Enron. So then that first company gives Enron 20 bucks keeps 20 bucks. And then another company, number two says, Hey, I could get you Enron for like, you know, $35. You're like, great. I want it. And then they give, you know, a company one, you know, um, uh, $30. They keep $5 company one then gives Enron, uh, you know, $15 and keeps $15. And that's how you get this pyramid scheme where, you know, all these companies are created, but in essence, they're the same freaking company. Okay. And then when nobody wants to invest anymore, cause there's nothing new, they create a make believe company so that everybody can get hyped up and want to invest. This is what happened. But what if I told you one of the key companies was owned by the Clinton cartel? What would you say? Oh my God. And I've got the evidence because here's the thing. When you've done things through private entities or places where you have, um, uh, no, um, how would I say, um, ooh, it's a word that I'm looking for. No obligation to. Then, you know, most of that stuff gets deleted and purged with no problem whatsoever. None. So you have to think like, all right, um, I, I don't own, I don't owe, uh, you know, <clears throat> registered agent. Joe Schmo, anything, uh, you know, delete it, done. Joe Schmo doesn't know me. I don't know Joe Schmo. You're done. But when you have someone that registers your company that is a government official or that takes the stand uh, of the state or manages a fund that, uh, you know, state, city employees pay into Dude, you have an obligation. And dude, there is a whole long trail of paper trail. You can't destroy public records that easy. And so, you know, a lot of the stuff that I procured, uh, you know, you can't read a lot of it because it's been scanned. Man, some of this stuff was set up from like, we're talking like late 80s. Okay, like late 80s, like this is just how corrupt these people are. They're clowns, they're disgusting, and they just move forward all the time doing the same thing over and over again, taking from the people that work the hardest. And, you know, that is how socialists operate, right, guys? Because socialists have no morality. Socialism is not built on faith, love, compassion, or God. There is no God in a socialist or communist nation. No, you remove that. The only God is the government. And morals, we set the rules. That's the way communists and socialists work. So these insane sociopaths, psychopaths that do such vile things to children, people, you know, with no remorse. They have absolutely no remorse. They laugh in your face. They run for office. I mean, how could Bill Clinton sit there and give a speech of how, oh, I didn't know. And I only went four times. Like that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Come on guys. Seriously. Like it, it tells you everything you need to know about how they value you as a person because they don't value you enough 
to be at least honest with you and tell you, you know, what it's what's really going down. That's how it is. They really don't care. They don't. They don't. They actually don't care. They don't care how you think it looks. The media is going to tell you how it looks. They don't care what you feel because the media is going to tell you what to feel. You know, they don't care what the facts are. The media is going to tell you what the facts are. You're not allowed to make those decisions. How dare you? This Epstein case will blow things out of the water. This is like a Pandora's box. Now, let me tell you about what I know about Epstein, because I've been following Epstein for many, many, many years. And I won't, you know, disclose on a public platform why, but I'm going to kind of just let you know when they went into his house in New York, I can tell you they saw so many photos, so much gross stuff going around. It's ridiculous. But I also want to tell you that just like George Nader, Jeffrey Epstein knew he was getting arrested. Jeffrey Epstein knew he was coming in and Jeffrey Epstein had a plan of getting a plea deal done. And this is all set. I'm just saying, because one thing I noticed from the indictment was its specificity, an extreme specificity, actually. How is it that in this indictment, only Two properties within the United States are mentioned. And the one in New York is to be confiscated. Remember, that place in New York is money. That used to be a school. His house used to be a school. Now, I don't know what they're going to turn it into. Definitely not a school because there's going to be some serious hauntings from all those children that have lost their, let's just say, they're only talking about New York, which is, which makes me think that New Mexico is going to be a separate case. So the ranch in New Mexico is where the most nefarious acts happen. The ranch in New Mexico is where snuff films would happen. The ranch in New Mexico is where a lot of the politicians that are now sitting in seats would go, where a lot of generals would go, majors, admirals. So that's the thing. I found it peculiar how they talked about Palm Beach and Florida and and New York, but said nothing about New Mexico. Now, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, uh, they asked this question. Oh, uh, why are you doing it now? Like, you know, so many years later, he already has a plea deal with Florida. How come you're doing it now? Oh, because the plea deal in Florida doesn't apply here. Well, the question is, why are you doing it now? Right. That's the key question. Did you just wake up in the morning and say, oh, I need to stop Epstein from having sex with little girls and selling them around the world and buying little boys and girls and placing them in islands and nobody ever sees them again. I need to get Jeffrey Epstein because he has, you know, sacrificial rituals with children involved and all these politicians and it's satanic and it's disgusting and it's evil and it has to stop. Did you now wake up and do this? No, you did not. What happened is, what is the Southern District of New York currently investigating? What did Barr charge them with to investigate? That's the question. The question's answer is, 
He charged them with the task to investigate the origins or how they created this dossier, right? Because they're doing this, right? Looking into how this investigation with the Mueller Russia probe started. So what are they looking at? The origins of this dossier. So how much you want to make a bet that somebody that was procured or some information that was procured kind of involved Jeffrey Epstein's jet. I mean, hmm. you want to make a bet because that's how you get things. You don't just wake up one morning and say, oh, you know what? This happened in 2008. It's like 11 years later. I think I want to prosecute. Preet didn't do it before. Nobody before them did it in New York. I don't see anyone in New Mexico popping up and saying, well, you did atrocious crimes in Mexico. One of the witnesses even put pictures of herself in New Mexico where she was assailed at the age of 15 in her affidavit. And yet I don't see anyone in New Mexico or any U.S. attorney in New Mexico going after that. Why? Questions, questions, questions. That's all we have. So what we need to do is understand that we need to hold on to our seats because it's going to be a bumpy ride and it's going to be pretty crazy. And like I said yesterday, it's all going to be about how we can link it to Trump. And if you guys saw that viral tweet going around, WikiLeaks has already started deleting Bill Clinton's name from associations with Epstein, but obviously keeping Trump up there. So make sure to stay diligent, stay focused and understand what we're really up against so that was from 2019. Why am I saying this? Well, we're going to take a quick break, just a very, very quick one, because uh, I think it'll be interesting for us to, um, you know, I didn't ask, but I'm going to show you guys a little portion of my documentary that has changed a bit, um, but it's pretty awesome. And I think you guys are going to love it. So let's just take a quick break and we'll get back to Ohio. Enron, Epstein, and COVID. What? Designed a poster that said uh, Argo, a cosmic conflagration. It was when you receive one of the highest decorations in the CIA, and then it becomes so clear that you're going to have to keep it secret. Yep. No one's going to know. Three years. And now 30 years later, the whole world knows. How does yeah, that feel? It's a terrible thing. <laughs> <laughs> Our job is to keep the secrets, not give them away. We've given it away, haven't we? How are we going to get the genie back in the bottle? It was the CIA itself that let the genie out. When they celebrated their 50th anniversary, the boss wanted to make a PR splash. Mendez was ordered to go public with the story of the Canadian caper. I said, why are we, why are we going to give away our best secret? As per the phony Russia dossier, why is no one talking about Adam Waldman? His text revealed how Hollywood was right in the middle of it. This lawyer has the point of contact between Congress, Hollywood, and Christopher Steele. In fact, another movie produced about that point of contact in Congress, who also had a foundation slash company funding it. Daniel J. Jones. Daniel J. Jones is Diane Feinstein's staffer and the man who drafted the CIA torture documents. From a text message conversation between the United States Senator from Virginia, Mark Warner, and Hollywood lawyer, Adam Waldman. February 16, 2017 at 1049 PM, Senator Mark says, have had important call about your message. We'll have to answer tomorrow. Adam responds eight minutes later. Thank you. Standing by. 
just want to underscore my opinion and the reason I got involved. This guy is going to do something catastrophic for the Dems, Obama, CIA, and national security. I hope someone will consider getting him to the U.S. to ameliorate the damage. Who are they talking about? This guy is going to do something catastrophic for the Dems, Obama, CIA, and national security. Two months later, on April 10th, 2017, Adam Waldman sends a text to Senator Warner. Hi, Steele would like to get a bipartisan letter from the committee. Assange, I convinced him to make serious and important concessions, and I am discussing those with DOJ. Deripaska, willing to testify to Congress, but interested in state of play with Manafort. I will be with him next Tuesday for a week. I'm bringing Ben Stiller for the Day of Hill and administration meetings on refugee issues in May. Would you like me to bring him by your office? Senator Mark Warner responds, sure. In other words, these texts were talking about how damaging Assange was to the Democrats, to Obama, and to the CIA, and how it was very important that they bring him to the United States. And for some reason, Christopher Steele was in the middle of all of it. Lawyer Adam Waldman replies over four hours later. Mark, call me anytime you want to discuss the above three. I am glad to communicate or try to accomplish whatever you want to do. Eight days later, on April 18th, 2017, Senator Warner replies, been off the grid for a few days. Need to get up with you this week on phone. This is treason. Treason against the people of the United States. Not only that, the Film Actors Guild, Ben Stiller, an envoy to the UN involved in steel discussions with people on the Hill. Well, in one of the episodes in this docuseries, you'll find out exactly what went on with Assange. So for all of you out there advocating for Assange, not come to the US and not be freed, as you understood from that text, it's Obama, the CIA, and the Democrats that have the problem with Assange, not the people. So that was a segment that was put together a lot better than I had it. I am so grateful. I am so grateful. And I'm and I'm actually quite grateful that um, you know, it's um, you know, taking its time. God knows exactly when it needs to come out. It is gonna be the most explain. I mean, you can't not explain that. I mean, I wrote it in an article over two years ago. No one's reporting on it. Um, but the people that are editing and and doing this are just incredible. And I'm actually grateful because, you know, uh, Ethereum has taken a tank and I, and I got those two Ethereums from the NFTs <laughs> and they're not worth what they were then. So, um, I'm, I'm really, really, really excited because we're going to be doing docu-series. 2022 will be full exposés. Tony, how are you going to do that if you're running for office? Why am I going to stop? Why would I stop? See, Ohio, it is quite important. Here's where we're going to continue that conversation now because we need to talk about Enron. We need to talk about the things that people forget to talk about. So let's go to July 
18th, 2019. And let me explain to you in April of 2019 in March and my, and my server was purged, but I'm pretty sure it's saved on a hard drive somewhere or somewhere in the cloud where I hide things within images, right? Go digging on Chan. You might find something cool. Um, I had communicated with the public utilities company in Ohio and I had told them that, um, you know, I wanted to ask questions about Enron and the Clinton Management Energy Group. Now, why am I saying this? Well, here's the real fun part. Today it broke. You know, like I said, justice comes in on a donkey, right? Never in a Ferrari. There's a reason I'm here again. So let's go to today's news. So interesting. So today, First Energy Corp, which was involved in the Enron scandal, by the way, they found that there's no evidence that First Energy's 168 million per year grid modernization fee was used for its intended purpose. Let me elaborate on that. So First Energy Corp, which is, by the way, one of the biggest sponsors for um, DeWine, right? Uh, and I also hear that Renacci is getting some funds from First Energy Corp. <laughs> you know, he likes to call himself, uh, what is it, Renacci or something? It's like, dude, it's Italian. It's Renacci. So they've collected hundreds of millions of dollars from utility customers. That would include myself in the name of using it to modernize its electric grid. But a new state commission audit, I wonder why they started that, found no evidence that the money led the Akron-based utility to actually spend it on grid modernization. The audit was released today by the Public Utilities Commission of Ohio and also found that First Energy didn't even track the money. They didn't know how they collected it under its distribution modernization rider and was spent. So they don't know how they took money and they don't know how it spent it, right? So the auditors couldn't tell whether any of it was spent on lobbying for the scandal-ridden House Bill 6 or increasing dividend payments to its investors. You mean fraud, right? First Energy allowed to collect, oh, ask yourself, look at the timings, right? This is, this is just showing you. It was in April of 2019 that I pointed out all this shit. It was in April of 2019 when all of this kicked off. I wasn't even living in the state of Ohio. I haven't even thought of it. But again, I never came out and said, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. The only reason I went public is because I was actually concerned they would kill me. Instead, they lawfared me, right? They lawfared me. They, they, they civilly suited me for alleged crimes. And I was like, why aren't we in criminal court? Huh? Because there were no crimes. They just made shit up. See, I can, I can sit there and follow you, uh, follow a civil suit and put thousands of pages about you, whatever the fuck I want. It's in civil court, right? It's in civil court. Ah, ah, timing is everything. Now, while you look at that, listen to this about, um, I'm actually putting out snapshots of the dates that they filed these companies, the, the, where they were filed, how they were a foreign entity, how you can see the address is exactly the same as Enron's. And you have to think like, 
all of this is crazy, but but why wouldn't that name be in the presidential records? Why wouldn't the pardon name be on the pardon list part of the presidential records? It's all over the internet. I've archived every single site that I could find. It is all over the internet. Tell me why. The only place I can find this dude is in the Panama Papers. Ha. Scrubbing. Covering your tracks, criminals, crooks, disgusting. The Clintons are going down. Now, today, will we have something coming out? Mm, pretty much. I'm hearing that Hillary Clinton is suddenly really sick. And she should be. Because Epstein is really knee-deep in it. And, you know, I was tweeting out this morning, Table 29, Table 29, FBI, Table 29, Homeland Security. You have to understand that these are just how we realize the nefarious parts. Because Table 29 also refers to more nefarious ancient things. But we always bring it here so that way we understand the nefarious nature. So like after this break, we're going to break down a little bit what happened with Clinton Energy Management Services. And where he says show. So we were talking about the Clintons. And remember this morning I tweeted out, I hear that Hillary Clinton's going to get sick. Is it because Billy the pedo, Billy the rapist is in trouble? Hmm, maybe, but they're both in trouble. So, um, actually I, um, will be playing you a clip just so you understand how the justice system works. Remember how we always say no one is above the law, you know, how people shouldn't be above the law, how the law applies. And I've told you earlier in this hour, how they have a different set of rules. They don't need passports. They can fly into different countries on a jet and have 20 people on it. Nobody has to show ID. They just walk off. You know, because they are a different caliber of people, right? They are supposedly, remember, I told you, we're disposable. We're commodities. Human beings are commodities to them. They don't see themselves as a lesser type person, like that you and I are lesser than them. So there's no rules for them. It's a separate type of justice. So the co-founder of uh, uh, the U.S. Tea Party uh, was uh, on TRT World, Turkish TV, right? Of course. Uh, but he is, he's great because he pretty much puts it out by talking about Epstein. And I want you to listen to this like, you know, 50 second clip and listen to what he says in regards to how they are able to evade justice. Because, you know, it's it's really true. It is true because I've I've dealt with that, that no matter how right you are, because I've I've gone to court with a political, you know, someone that's really upset that I've just filed. So I can't wait for the sealed indictments to pop. I swear in my state. I swear I can't wait. So anyway, so upset that he's been taking me to court. And this is like the head law enforcement of my state talking complete rubbish with no evidence, gave me a thorough colonoscopy, almost like what they're doing to the Trump organization in New York. So I go to court and I'm like, you know, I know I'm right. You know, there's no way a judge is not going to do. No, you need the big guns because they will bury you. And, you know, if you've got the money or the clout, you could do it. And I mean, he's the head, you know, guy. So all the judges are bound down. That's OK, because I could just write more stuff to the Department of Justice because I'm that type of person. You could say whatever. I will go down in flames rather than let you go because I stand for something, you know. It was Martin Luther King that said that, you know, you must 
stand for something in your life. You cannot just simply exist. If you don't have values that you abide by, that you stand by, that you execute based on your morality, where's your moral floor? And you bow down to pressures because, oh, it's just going to be easier like this. You know, because a lot of people told me you can make it go away. Just do this. It's just going to cost you 500 bucks. Guess what I said? No, I am not going to violate my ethics, you know, violate my morals so I can make my life easy because then it's rolling over and letting them do what they want. Today, I saw a bunch of people in my state complaining how, you know, after the audit reports, they found that there were felonies done and all they did was come up with a plan to rectify. So, you know, our officials don't commit crimes anymore. That's what always happens. Now, someone asked the questions, but what's be, what's the difference between civil and criminal court? Civil court is just two people duking it out as people. Criminal court is that you committed a crime. Okay. And that is the difference. Remember, uh, criminal court for Ghislaine Maxwell, but there's also a civil court to sue for damages, right? You sue for damages if you don't get anything from the criminal court, right? So there has to be a criminal court in order for a crime to exist. If there's no crime, there's no criminal court. Civil court, I could sue you. The person who, Lampstand Dilly, I can say, uh, Lampstand Lily, um, you know what? I don't like you. So I'm gonna go file a bunch of shit. And then you're gonna be like, yeah, um, I'm not answering. Guess what? If you don't answer after I filed a bunch of shit, the judge is just gonna write it off to me and I win whatever I ask for. So it's kind of like, it's, it's a money thing. It's a lawfare thing. This is how they sue you to the ground. You know, this is why people like getting sued. They don't like being tried for crimes. You know, this is why losers are like, sue me, sue me. And it's like, no, bitch, I'm not going to let you sue. I'm going to sit there and watch you commit crimes. And then I'll just hand it over to a prosecutor and they'll take you out for crimes. See, that's what you do. Civil, civil suits are stupid, right? Um, uh, the only time that you can sue civilly is when they uh, defame you, slander you, libel you, uh, you know, um, and just hurt your person, you know, to just file shit so people could dig it up. OK, that's basically what courts are. They're used for lawfare. It's like big boy fighting. Right. And this is why idiots say things and they're like, well, yeah, it was in a document. Yeah, but you had knowledge. You shouldn't have said that. Therefore, you're defaming. Therefore, this. So you can sue someone. But if they're broke and living in like a motel and begging for like 20 bucks, you're not going to go and sue them. You're going to wait. You're going to let them trip up where they actually commit crimes. You know, say things that are criminal show things that are criminal. Maybe they'll attack a minor child or keep bringing them up. Or maybe they might run a red light. Or maybe they might actually make a threat to your life. That's actually a crime. You see what I'm saying? So what you do is you sit back and you let them commit crimes. And what you do is you collect all of those crimes and then you go to prosecutors and say, here, that's what they did. This is why um, civil courts are just... Um, a more elevated place to, to create trash about someone, right? This is what it is. Pretty simple. So criminal is that you committed a crime. You violated the law, right? You did something that the law says you shouldn't do, right? And therefore you're being penalized. Boom. Civil is 
yeah, you know, you affected this person, the person deserves a remedy and you're being sued. And unfortunately, uh, that's for your civil rights because they're not tangible crimes, they're violations. So, you know, that's that what goes on there. So like, for example, um, like Theranos, they were running a company and they were telling you that with one drop of blood, we're going to like discover all this stuff turned out to be a scam. They were civilly sued, but they were also criminally charged for, for stuff. So let's say for example, you know, um, you know, I don't like someone, I don't like lampstand Lily, let's say, and Lily has a boy that, you know, is albino. Right. And then I'll sit there and I'll start talking smack about her child and I'll start bringing it up. And it's like, ha ha ha. And then Lily, you know, is like, hey, this is like really bad. And then the lawyers are like, well, you can sue to tell Michelle, but you won't get anything. It'll just be a restraining order. Let's wait till they trip up and have a crime. So Lamp Stan, Lily standing there and she's like, Tori's going to do it. Tori's going to do it. She's going to show something. She's going to put a picture of my kid. That's how it goes. And then it's a crime. So that's the difference. Okay. I hope that, that you understand that. So, um, and also, you know, when you go to civil court, you don't get a free attorney, right? You have to pay for one. And if you go pro se and the other person has an attorney, you're buried. That's, that's, um, that's basically it. So Theranos, I, I wrote about them. It's, it's a really old thing, but I want you guys to know that first energy is now in the line of sight of the, um, of the, um, justice department so we had that win because that shit's going to expose and run like crazy but then we also had you know other things that you might perceive as a loss did you know that the travis county district attorney's office in austin informed america's attorney general general ken paxton yesterday that he had violated the state's open record laws by refusing to release any of his communications from around January 6th, when Paxton was in Washington, D.C., and appeared at the rally that preceded the Capitol siege, right? They know where he was. They're just playing footsie. The district attorney, Jose Garza, which is a Democrat, gave Paxton four days to cure this violation by turning over the documents or face the lawsuit. The Texas Public Information Act gives the public the right to government records, including those on personal devices or a public official's online accounts. Paxson has tried to claim attorney-client privilege for every email and text he sent in the day surrounding January 6th attack. Okay, let's, let's get this right. He did have attorney-client privilege because he was talking with his clients. So in that capacity, right? He has that right. So this is where it starts to get weird because if you remember, right, what was it that, um, uh, Garland said, I vowed to pursue all January 6th perpetrators, no matter who they are. I think we have that clip somewhere. Hold on. Let me see. Here it is. Here's where he says it. Take a listen. Pete, this has been a massive investigation. How's the DOJ gone about it and how much work is there ahead? Well, it is surprising that a year after the attack, the government is nowhere near done charging people. As you noted, 700 plus so far, but at least another two to 300 to go. And this is going to go on for several more months. So a priority for the FBI right now is identifying the rioters who attacked police officers, both men and women inside and outside the Capitol. Investigators have pictures and videos of at 
at least 250 people that they're working to identify. And of course, there's the mystery of who planted pipe bombs outside the Republican and Democratic headquarters near the Capitol the night before the riot ship. Pete, the charges so far involve the people who did the rioting. But what about looking at anyone who may have helped organize or inspire the attack? How interested does the Justice Department seem in going there? Yeah, excuse me, helped organize, certainly. Conspiracy charges have been filed against members of white supremacist and anti-government groups. The government accuses them of planning to come to Washington armed and ready for battle. And one big question as yet unanswered is, was there actually a well-thought-out plan to enter the Capitol, or did it develop in the heat of the moment on the day? But as for Inspire, that's a trickier one. There are several civil lawsuits against Donald Trump and others accusing them of planting the seeds of the riot. But bringing criminal charges will be much more complicated. We'll have to see where the evidence takes us, Shep. Hmm. So they're vowing to go after everyone, no matter what, no matter who they are, right? Or even if it's the attorney general. Uh, that's really crazy. But here's here's what you need to listen to, the sedition case. Now, that's interesting. Attorney of the Northern District of Texas, thank you so much for joining us. So the U.S. Justice Department, as you know, filed the most serious charges yet in connection with the attack on the U.S. Capitol January 6th, one year ago. Um, so what is seditious conspiracy and how serious is it? Well, it's a very serious offense. And, and the charge is very, very broad. It's essentially any kind of act, which is termed seditious, to interfere with the lawful order or process of the United States. As you can imagine, that could include many, many different things. Here, it's specifically dealing with uh, a conspiracy to prevent and obstruct the lawful transfer of power, that being the certification of the uh, election on January 6th, and then the the lawful transfer of power on January 20th. And um, is this, is it fair to say that they were trying to, I mean, is it too much? Is it it an overstatement to say they were trying to overthrow the government? Not overthrow the government. They specifically focus in on the two acts being the uh, conspiracy to essentially obstruct and hinder the uh, the certification of the election on the January 6th. And then ultimately, after that, the conspiracy continues uh, to prevent the lawful transfer of power when Biden took over on January 20th from Trump. Those are the key elements of the charge. And this is very rare, right? I mean, these charges don't, you don't see these charges all that often. No, and, and it's, and there's many times you can get uh, charged conduct uh, that's not as provocative. Um, and, and there are also there are other charges that are less provocative that are normally charged in situations when you have what is normally called obstruction of justice. But here they they step forward and charge the, the uh, sedition conspiracy, which captures other conduct that in many times. Um, you could parse out and look at an overt act or an act the government alleges in furtherance to the conspiracy, and you could look at it in isolation, and you might say, well, that's only really someone uh, voicing their concern for the government or their um, 
feelings that something is not legitimate, but they use that conduct, those communications to say that was an act in furtherance of a conspiracy to essentially uh, obstruct the uh, lawful transfer of power. You reviewed the uh, the indictment uh, for us, and I really appreciate it. Uh, what stood out to you? Well, I think what they've taken is they've 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 the government's the investigators and prosecutors have have taken a lot of time and hard work to pull together um, encrypted communications and other acts that they see are done in an effort to further this conspiracy to uh, to prevent the lawful transfer of power. For instance, gathering ammunition, gathering weapons, um, formulating a plan to enter the camp- capital, uh, formulating a plan to prevent the uh, transfer of power on January 20th. All of those uh, they put in, in really detailed form about actions by the defendants to to essentially achieve this goal uh, uh, gathering body armor um, putting um, deploying members in stacks to enter the capital also having a quick reaction force that actually uh, had a cache of weapons outside of the capital but ready to be deployed uh, at the um, uh, the uh, communication or direction of these uh, oath keepers. Um, you know, one of the things that um, his attorney said yesterday, Rhodes' attorney said yesterday, was that, hey, uh, my client never entered the Capitol. But when you look at the indictment, uh, he was on the Capitol grounds and uh, was directing, according to the indictment, was directing other people into the Capitol. So does it matter that he didn't enter the Capitol? Well, he's charged with conspiracy and a conspiracy. You don't actually have to commit a substantive act. You just have to conspire with others. And he could be outside the Capitol and still be a member of the conspiracy. It is interesting to note that they specifically uh, set out some communications in the indictment. And one of the communications between some of the members is uh, specifically stating do not bring weapons into the capital and those weapons were going to be um, deployed with a quick reactionary force so uh you know some it's kind of a a mixed bag there's some awful communications talking about civil war and and um and then there's some less provocative comments that are including the indictment it's kind of a mixed bag do you think that helps them when they said not to bring weapons in the Capitol or no? Well, I think I, if I were a defense attorney, I'd certainly raise this. You know, uh, obviously uh, people don't, may not, uh, they, it's, it's obvious from looking in, in the indictment that those Oath Keepers, uh, for right or wrong, thought that the election was illegitimate. And they voiced their opinion, again, whether right or wrong, they had a right to voice that opinion. The question is, what actions did they take? Did they take actions, essentially illegal and lawful acts, to essentially prevent the lawful transfer of power? Uh, that really was, and in, in the indictment, there are many provocative statements that are made, and also actions they took that would 
seem to to look all together that there was an unlawful conspiracy to essentially obstruct the ability of of Congress to certify the election and uh, then allow the lawful transfer of power. Uh, and and my other question is just based on what you said, as far as you know the things that they said, um, you know. As far as the Civil War comments, as far as, hold on, let me get my notes here, um, that, you know, it'll be a, if, if President Biden were to assume the presidency, quote, it will be a bloody and desperate fight. We are going to have a fight that can't be avoided. Um, when you look at that, and then um, some of the other things that were said, even on the night of the 6th. Uh, where Rhodes said, according to the indictment, nothing, you know, that happened that day is compared to what's coming. Um, how much of those, you know, statements, uh, can get them into even bigger trouble and get them convicted? Or is it really, like you said, it's more of the actions than the statements? Well, you know, look, it's, it's a conspiracy. So what, what a gr- unlawful agreement that these defendants have that they can prove and, and, and there's a, certainly an argument to make that they have a, a First Amendment right to to uh, protest what they consider to be an unlawful election. But when they make statements that they're going to take action and commit violent acts, that belies that argument that they were just peacefully demonstrating. That's the problem that the defendants face in this case. And they the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office in the District of Columbia have harvested uh, very, very provocative comments that they made in uh, apparently in an encrypted and private communications that that belie this idea that they were this up there to lawfully protest uh, what they consider to be an a, a illegitimate election. And then the and then the alleged actions as far as the buying of the body armor and the ammunition and weapons and and then having that quick response force, et cetera. Yeah, those are what what in the terms of law they call overt acts, specific acts that are designed to further this unlawful conspiracy. And, you know, again, if they were in an effort to try to peacefully demonstrate why bring up the body armor? Why bring up the batons? Why bring up the weapons? Uh, why have a, a ammunition uh, there uh, if they were just there to lawfully protest? Um, that uh, is 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 going to be tough for them to explain. And remember, these defendants will not be tried in in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Uh, one of the defendants is from Granbury, which is in the Northern District of Texas, federal. Uh, district, but they're going to be tried in the District of Columbia. And uh, I, I would think they're going to face, in my estimation, uh, a hostile jury pool. All right. Uh, Richard Roper, thank you so much. Right. So weird. So weird. So, so, so weird. It's so weird. Sedition. Sedition. So bizarre. Let's see what um, CNN had to say about the Oath Keepers when speaking to the Oath Keepers attorney. Take a listen. 
John Mosley, he is representing the Oath Keepers leader, Stuart Rhodes, before the January 6th committee and in civil lawsuits against him and the group. Uh, John, thank you so much for being with us. Your reaction to this indictment? Well, they are very serious charges, and it's ironic to talk about them with the overnight news from Kazakhstan. They, they're very, very concerning. Um, the the thing is, is that we don't see any new facts. They've added a new legal label, um, as you say, after congressional criticism. But I don't as I go through there, there's more uh, social media discussions that are named. But I would be very concerned if they if, they, if the FBI had found some new revelation. It shows that they are going to uh, go after it very seriously. It's, it's uh, about 18 individual Oath Keepers now, 20, I guess. Um, that are in the USA versus Caldwell group um, are going to have, you know, some very serious work to go after that. The Oath Keepers generally feel like the, the, their videos in the smartphone, you know, video camera revolution, the whole new world we have here with all this video, show that some that people did do what the the, uh, the government alleges, but it wasn't them. Um, they they had some very tough talk among themselves. That's true. And um, as you say, they, they are going after leaders in, in this sense, what they perceive to be leaders. Uh, the government admits that these Oath Keepers did not do any violence. They did not attack police officers. They did not do any damage. No, they don't. They don't. They, John, that's, that's actually incorrect, according to this indictment. It talks about them forcibly pushing into the Capitol and past law enforcement. So that's just a misrepresentation well, they, of what's going on. You're, you're talking about tough talk. Yeah. Um, here, there's there's more than tough talk. There's talk about essentially overthrowing a government. And there are new things here. There are a lot of signal communications, uh, including with your clients, that paint a very clear picture of what happened before the insurrection, during and after. Well, I, and outside of the indictment, the government has admitted they did no violence, they didn't attack any police officers, and they didn't damage any property. But they say they led that you know, they claim that they, they organized some of that, which in court, the entire document has to be put before the court, not not snippets. Of things. I, did, and, I read the and, indictment, and John. It, it says that they forcibly pushed past police officers, that they used force. Right. And, and the video shows that they did not. And the prosecutor, the prosecutors know that we know that they're lying. We have the video. We have the documents, including non-public documents. But but the, the charges, you know, are a very serious hurdle for them to, to overcome. Um, and <clears throat> what what I want to see is the complete conversations that they allege there, which are about other. John, about I, the December John I just 12th. have to stop you for a moment. We're watching video of them forcibly pushing their way into the Capitol. Not conference. the Oath Keepers. Not the Oath Keepers. They were they were um, part of a mob the, the, that did the, this. The what, what are you trying to say that the, the people is, around them were doing it and they weren't? The people you see on video were on the other side of the building, which is as big as a cruise ship. Um, there were some very violent events and some very troubling events, but they were on the west side of the building and the Oath Keepers were on the east side. And it's as big as a cruise ship. Um, so that's why, we, you know, we believe that. I, that I hear what you're saying. You're saying that, that you're saying they didn't, you know. We, we've seen the video of Officer Fanon. You're saying they weren't participating in the worst of it. They were forcibly entering the Capitol and pushing past police officers. I don't want to get hung up on that. I mean, we have video of it. I really, I don't want to litigate that. You're trying to say that they, you know, the worst of the worst that we've seen, that wasn't them. 
they're, they're using force here. Right. Um, so, you know, tell me how you defend against this, how, how you defend well, against I'm all here. of the planning that is laid out very clearly here in the indictment. I want to see the entire documents because the planning was about events in Florida. It was about December 12th. It was about November 14th. And it was about their somewhat fanciful idea that they thought the president was going to call them up under the Insurrection Act, which I don't pretend to understand. But but they were quite fixated on the idea that Trump was going to activate them as a militia under the Insurrection Act. Um, and uh, so we we think that most of the, the quotes are, are misrepresented. Not to say that serious things didn't happen on, on January 6th, but, but uh, their main defense is going to be they weren't the people doing it. They were there okay, to help support. You're saying the training wasn't about yeah. January 6th. So then explain this to me. Watkins on a Zello <laughs> channel saying, we are in the mezzanine. We are in the main dome right now. We are rocking it. Goes on to say, this is what we effing something up for. Everything we effing trained for. Minuta stated words to the effect of now we're talking. That's what I came up here for. And James then instructed the group to get their gear and get ready to head to the Capitol. Rhodes then, sometime after that, when it was very clear what was happening at the Capitol, said, anyone in D.C. who is not tasked with a security detail, come to U.S. Capitol on the Supreme Court side, come to Capitol on the northeast corner. He was calling them to join in what we all knew what was happening at that point, John. Well, remember, they had a permit. On the Supreme Court no, no, side. John, the John, you just said the, the training, John, you just said the training was not about January 6th. It clearly was. They they got training on September 30 in Florida. They claim it was paramilitary training, which is illegal in Florida. And the company says we didn't train them. Uh, we just did standard gun training for them on September 30. Um, so that that's you, you ask how you know how I respond to it. They're serious charges. But but how I responded is putting the entire context in front of the court and the entire conversations. Um, Rhodes, and Rhodes what, hears what those them. Really I mean, unless I don't, what could they have said that is going to somehow change the meaning of what is in this indictment? Unless they well, said the just kidding they, after they all went, of it. They went to the Capitol to provide security at a demonstration that turned into chaos. They had a permit from the U.S. Capitol Police. The, uh, Alec Alexander's group, and they were supposed to be there to do to do security. John, John, by they shouldn't own, have gone in the Capitol. By their own admission, that is not true. They said, uh, "Ali Alexander, you mean Ali Abdul Razak Akbar? This is what we, everything we effing trained for. Now we're talking. That is what I came up here for." And then after all of that is said, Rhodes then calls even more people to the Capitol. This isn't like mission creep. They're making it very clear that this is what they were there for. And furthermore, if you're well, saying that this somehow went off the rails, then why, uh, you know, why is your client then, uh, after having spent thousands and, and thousands of, of dollars, including on a platform style AR rifle, why is he then spending thousands and thousands and thousands more dollars on all kinds of weapons and equipment uh, following January 6th? Well, as, as we've seen, they did believe that they were going to have to uh, 
respond to Antifa or be called up by the by the president. But what's interesting is they didn't bring any of that into the District of Columbia. They left it in Virginia. Um, so if they were going to do any of those things, they would have brought weapons with them into the Capitol. And they didn't do that. They um, talked about so it. So I'm not saying that, you know, that they, they, they were wise. John, they, they talked did. about they talked about bringing weapons. They discussed it. And then they discussed putting them on a boat from, and to be clear, I think for everyone who isn't familiar with Virginia and DC, there's a small river that separates the two. And, and your clients were talking about putting heavy weapons on a boat from a dock or some sort of water access area in the Pentagon, which is like a stone's throw from the Lincoln Memorial and driving it over to the Lincoln Memorial. There, there were those there were those chats, like I said, but if, I think if you see it in full context, they will say if things went in fact, they, they say it with acronyms and, and expletive, if things go to all, all to hell, they, they would have those weapons over there, but they never brought them into the, into the district. So, um, you know, I, I'm not saying I would advise them to do any of the things they did. But um, but that that's what we're you and again, you're asking, you know, how do we intend to defend it, those would be the things that we'd look at is, is they, they clearly talked about coming up to do security. That's beyond all doubt. The, the prosecutions know it. Um, their purpose in coming to DC was, was mainly to provide security for permitted. Okay. They actually, uh, legal they, they're talking, they're talking very clearly when they're and they are not providing security. They're saying <laughs> that this is exactly what they trained for. But to, to, you know, Rhodes, your client actually says at one point when he is uh, in response to a claim by an Oath Keepers affiliate that Antifa had breached the Capitol, Rhodes actually says, nope, I'm right here. These are patriots. He's saying this isn't Antifa. So they knew that this wasn't Antifa. They knew that he was making that clear, the organizer of all of this. Well, at, at that moment, but I'm saying, why did they come to D.C.? Why did they do these things? I mean, the, the indictment says that, you know, practically they ate, a, they ate a hamburger on the way up here in order to overthrow the government. No, they ate a hamburger because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking hypothetically. They keep saying that everything they did was to overthrow the, the government and, and the evidence, the prosecution knows that's false. That we have clear, not in the indictment, and that's why I'm concerned about the indictment as a work of fiction. Is okay, then outside of that? Then explain this, because this doesn't I mean, seem like fiction. This is your client. We will have to do a bloody, massively bloody revolution against them. That's what's going to have to happen. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people predicted things like that, and you know, I, I believe that you know whether somebody wanted it to happen and whether somebody observes from history, this is where we're heading, uh, may not be the same thing. That's why I say. My main concern in responding to how we defend this is I want to see the entire conversations. He said, we um, aren't getting not, through yeah. this. We aren't getting through this without a civil war. Too late for that. Prepare your mind, body, and spirit. This is what he was telling other Oath Keepers. Right, but that doesn't mean he's the, he's the one starting the civil war. I believe that too, but I don't think that people on the right are going to be responsible for the civil war. They were training, uh, you know, the, so, the indictment um, shows them training for ambushes, John. Yeah, which is, which the government knows is a lot. Because I've talked to the trainer. Where I've talked to the tape. I'm calling the trainer as a witness. And that didn't happen. He Look at, this is Rhodes, your client. We will have to do a bloody, massively bloody revolution against them. 
that's not reactive. Well, I, I think it is. I think it's. I, I remember from what everybody was saying. What is that? Time, what is that reactive saying, to, John? To to what they believe the left and the deep state and other people were doing. Uh, it was a very common com, uh, conversation that people were happening at the time that this is going south, and you know we're heading to it in, in a very bad way. Wait, so um, so wait, and, and what were that, that, what that were they reacting? What so what were they reacting? Not don't just tell me vaguely what the deep state was doing, which is I mean I don't even know what you're talking about. What were they reacting? She doesn't to know. She's part of it though. If you're saying this is they didn't they weren't starting anything. I think everything from new censorship of of certain, you know, the Hunter thing and, and everything where they felt that the election was being manipulated and then stolen. And, it wasn't manipulated and or was stolen, cheating. John. Okay, but I'm saying the discussion at the time was they think that this is this is all going bad and and we're it, it's not us doing it, but we're going to have to do something about it. Okay, well, them responding so, to an imaginary thing is not is not a defense. Well, it depends. Like I say, the per, the, the, the seditious conspiracy charge, the last time it was tried in, in 2010, it was thrown out by a judge because they said that, you know, political diatribe were not seditious. Yeah, I've gone through that case, John. Um, not at all. I mean, John, that is... <laughs> That is apples and watermelons. That is not a case that you can look at. All right. That, that is not a case that you can look at and say it has anything that is similar to what happened on January 6th. That would be, that would be an embarrassing defense to use in court. Well, in, in terms of the facts that, that these aren't the guys who did what, what you're concerned about on, on January 6th. I mean, they were, there in, were, they were in the capital force forcibly pushing past law enforcement to enter the Capitol in an effort to overturn the results of the election. All right. Well, at, at trial, the video is going to show that they did not force their way past. We, the, I, uh, I mean, the can we put the video officers. of them forcing their way past up again? I'd like to put the video up of them forcing their okay, way I, past I law enforcement. I can't see it here, but, but, the, but, but if you're talking about the arch tunnel, that's on the, the west side. No, we have video uh, of them again, as they have entered, as they have entered. We're not talking about the west side. They have forcibly okay. entered the east side, which is where you said they were. And this is video of that from the Justice Department. Of who? The Oath Keepers. Uh, I mean, because there is, there is a video I've seen of some people um, forcibly entering, but they're not the Oath Keepers. They weren't there yet. They didn't we arrive until uh, the stairs until 2.35 p.m. Enter until I'm about looking. PM. We have a we have a picture of them, um, mm -hmm. and, and we have a picture of them too of them singing the national anthem at the top of the stairs, and the doors open, which you cannot open from the outside. The Columbus doors are like a bank vault, and someone opened the, the, the doors from the inside, and and they just calmly walk in, and, and police officers left them. We have this video. You know, that's why I say the prosecutor knows that we know that they know that we have all the proof. All right. Um, John, I'm going to end our conversation there. John Mosley, attorney for Stuart Rhodes. Appreciate you being on. Must end the conversation there because you can't have too many facts coming out at once. See, truth is so insane. So insane. Right. 
so insane that you just can't, right? You can make narratives, you can do things, you can say things, but it's always the bottom line. What was the bottom line here to say that, what is a seditious conspiracy? Would it be what the Barack Hussein Obama administration did when they uh, placed their holdovers? Would a seditious conspiracy be uh, the uh, taking of tax dollars to go rig elections somewhere else? What is considered a seditious uh, conspiracy? I mean, I really wanted to get into cybernetics, damn it, again. And I'm, oh, shit. I just, I really wanted to get into that today, but I, I'm running out of time and I can't go over two hours. It's just way too long for my commuters to listen to. So like seditious conspiracy, <laughs> seditious conspiracy, you know what a seditious conspiracy should be considered? Those that are hindering the proper, what is it called? The, the actual functioning of um, our nation, right? Um, how is it defined? If two or more person in any state or territory or any place subject to the jurisdiction of the United States conspire to overthrow, put down, or destroy by force the government of the United States or levy war against them or oppose by force the authority thereof by force, prevent, hinder, delay execution of any law, then that would be considered a seditious conspiracy. You know... By forcing, seizing, taking, or possessing property of the United States contrary to the authority thereof, they shall each be fined under this title and imprisoned not more than 20 years or both. I'm like so confused. I don't see how them walking into the Capitol because they were let in um, is a seditious conspiracy. In that case, I guess all the people that walked in, even just moseyed on because they kind of got carried away in the moment, should be considered seditious conspiracists, <laughs> right? that's the thing but you know seditious conspiracy by force right i mean we could get creative by that what would you consider forcefully seizing or taking or possessing any property of the united states contrary to the authority of like how would you do it how would you do something where you're levying against war of the government of the United States. Now, what do you consider the government? The government is the people, not the people that are appointed by the people. So it's a, it's a really muddled question. I hope that we uh, get a good definition because, you know, it should be put into question for many, many people on how they conspire to destroy their nation for a nominal fee, of course, right? They all need that nominal fee. But I wanted to make you guys laugh. Did you know that Michael Avenatti, who was convicted of extortion, right? That's called blackmail, right? When you're like, I'm going to do this if you don't do this for me. Kind of like, you better get me in front of Congress or else. That's actually blackmail. And it's like not something someone could do. But, you know, he did that. He actually filed a claim against the Federal Bureau of Prisons, listen, for mistreatment. Do you know what his mistreatment was? I want you to guess. I'm going to tell you three things, and I want you guys to um, tell me in the chat what you think those things are, because this is going to be funny. He said that he was mistreated for not being uh, allowed to eat anything but chicken and rice, not being allowed to make phone calls unless he did something, or only allowed to read one book, and that's the art of the deal. What do you think? Okay, so it's, it's freaking hilarious, right? <laughs> like, I find it fucking hilarious. I'm sorry, I have to share this with you guys. But 
Michael Avenatti, who was convicted of extortion, his father claimed against the Federal Bureau of Prisons for mistreatment, claiming guards only allowed him to read Donald Trump's The Art of the Deal. He's seeking $94 million from the government, $1 million for each day he says he was held in solitary confinement, forced to read The Art of the Deal. Who's in charge? That's right. You sit with your fucking Judas. You flush them out. You don't need to smoke them out. They come out themselves. Once you realize, once you realize what their buttons are, you let them manifest, right? That's how you pull them out. Who's in charge again? Who's in charge? Deep state, IIA operators, hijackers. Dude, these are death rattles, death rattles, death rattles. What script are you on? Everyone's on the script, except for, I guess it would be Millie, Gavin, and me. No script. No script. Everyone's playing their part. Oh, shit. 94 days being forced to read part of the deal. (laughs) That is the most epic thing I have read today. Epic. (laughs) See, all of it, one by one, come out. Now, let's get to another one. I've talked about Martin Shkreli before, and a lot of people, it wasn't AIDS medication. It's like, yeah, you obviously don't know. So, Martin Shkreli, um, he's a young guy. Federal court has ordered convicted pharmaceutical executive Martin Shkreli to return $64.6 million worth of profits he made from hiking the price of a life-saving drug, New York Attorney General Letitia James announced on Friday. It seems like they're really hard up for money. They just keep taking everyone's money. I need this. I need that. You need to give me this, right? The court said... The so-called pharma bro is banned for life from participating in the pharmaceutical industry. Now, that's where you know that there's a problem. Like, well, you're banning a citizen. You convicted him of something. We got to look at that case. Like, I can't wait till that's appealed. Envy, greed, lust, and hate don't just separate. But they obviously motivated Mr. Screlly and his partner to illegally jack up the price of a life-saving drug as Americans' lives hung in the balance. That's weird because nobody was being prescribed that drug. <laughs> so interesting. So interesting. He brought light to that fucking drug. Listen, who along with the Federal Trade Commission in seven states filed a lawsuit against Shkreli in 2020, said in a statement Friday, but Americans can rest easy because Martin Shkreli is a pharma bro no more. In 2015, Shkreli's companies, Turing Pharmaceuticals, later named Vera, bought the drug Daraprim which is the only drug approved by the FDA to treat a parasitic disease that occurs in some AIDS, malaria, and cancer patients. Take that to the bank. What is it the hydroxychloroquine does, right? What does it do? Uh, oh, it's a parasitic drug. Shit. What is ivermectin? Oh, fuck. No shit. So when I was screaming from the rooftops about him, and you had the right, like Sandra Fairbanks and everyone talking shit about him. That's where you go. That's where you go. AIDS, malaria, and cancer patients under Viera, the life-saving drug, shut up in price by more than 4,000% overnight. And the company changed its distribution method to delay and impede generic competition. Oh, you mean he 
took the drug, racked up the price to get everybody's attention, like he said, hello, this drug is awesome, block them from being able to generically use it, because then if they could do that, they could have blocked that medication, which was the more revved up hydroxychloroquine type thing. So weird. So weird. He engaged in illegal and monopolistic behavior when he served as CEO of Air Pharmaceuticals. Shkreli's behavior brought him and his company a profit of more than $64 million. Why not? In 2019, he was reportedly in solitary confinement after using a contraband mobile phone in prison to run his pharmaceutical company. In 2020, he was denied a request to be released from prison by a judge who called him delusional. And in 2021, he was denied a second time. It's too bad that we didn't get him pardoned, but we couldn't get him pardoned because he's safe where he is right now. Remember all those shows I did on Pharma Bro a long time ago? You know, he was a cocky little Albanian guy, right? But he was drawing attention to things. He was, but he was drawing attention to things. So weird, isn't it? So, so weird. I mean, if you're cured, pharmaceutical company loses another customer. Like, why would they cure you? In other news, Fox News is very upset with Lara Logan. Very upset. Oh, very, very upset. She called Fauci a Nazi because he is. And now she is put on the naughty list. Since Fox Nation host Lara Logan compared Dr. Anthony Fauci to a Nazi war criminal last November, she has all but disappeared from Fox Airways. In fact, it would appear as though the conservative cable giant took a stand on her increasingly unhinged rhetoric and cut ties with the once respected journalists. Guys, for those of you that are still on Twitter, tell her Tori sent you and that you love her. Because <laughs> everyone that doesn't want this nation to succeed hates her. So she said during a 29th appearance on Fox News primetime, what you see in Dr. Fauci is what people say to me, that he doesn't represent science to them. Correct. He represents Joseph Mengele, Dr. Joseph Mengele, the Nazi doctor who did experiments on Jews during the Second World War and concentration camps. Hmm. Once respected, because what? Bill Gates' website says so? Hmm. She's got more street cred right now than anybody. See, you know, what used to work doesn't work anymore. What used to work doesn't work anymore. They used to be able to slander you and they could shut you up, right? Oh, guess what? I'm going to file all this shit against this person. I'm going to tell the world whatever I want. And because my microphone is bigger, everybody's going to listen. But you know what? It's 2022. It is the digital age, and guess who has the microphone? Well, who's really getting a big microphone, like super megaphones? We, the people. Therefore, they have no power over us. They could sit there and they could tell us, and President Trump proved that. They trashed him. They attacked him. And you know what they did? They actually thumped Trump thinking, yup, we're going to bury him with the media. But see, the thing is, there were people everywhere. People everywhere ready to pounce people everywhere ready to pounce 
you know, Emerald Robinson, she got canned. She didn't get canned for her tweets. She got canned because they told her you have to go easy on the Biden administration. Stop asking hard questions. You're fired. But it's all a script. And she went off the script. She should have stuck to her script. Lara Logan should have stuck to her script. But you know what? They're like, fuck your script. We don't need them. But see, the thing is, when you drop a script and you're someone that follows it, you get smoked out a lot easier and a lot faster, actually. So President Trump, when he ran, he did something incredible for our nation. And this is why I'm seriously going to put myself out there. Big ass target. You think the target dog is big? Damn. I got size 16 pants target. They will come at you. They will attack you when you speak truth. And the more they attack you, the more the people actually love you. And that's what happens because people can see right through it now. Those operations don't work. People don't want factory cookie cutter representatives. They don't want, I'm a veteran over in the U.S. Air Force and not look at me smile. Look at me. Check these ivories out. Nobody wants that. What they want is the guy on the corner selling hot dogs. They want the mom with five baby daddies, right? They want the teacher that's pissed, right? That says, I left. They want the people that are the spectators to flip the script. See, while they're still playing out their scripts, you're sitting there watching them in the theater and you're being affected by the shit that they're, they're flinging shit across. So I want you to imagine that you're sitting in a movie theater and on top of you, there's these two big Titans and they're fighting, right? And they're all flinging dung at each other, right? Well, that dung is going to have ricochet and droplets. You're getting shit on and you're watching it and you're getting shit and the shit has to fall somewhere, right? That's what it is. They're just mudslinging. Who's going to mudsling more? That doesn't work in 2022. That doesn't work. What works is truth. And see, it's so easy to destroy any narratives where people start to have like these weird revelations suddenly. (gasps) It's a revelation. You know, it's like me saying, oh, you know, (laughs) this is, (laughs) you just have to look from a 40,000 foot view and it all makes sense. I mean, look at, look at how clear this sounds. Now, law and order also means having strong borders. And we have a crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border over the past year that's witnessed staggering amounts of illegal migration and a massive influx of narcotics such as fentanyl. And rather than defend our sovereignty and enforce the border, the federal government has released hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens to communities across the U.S., shipping them to Florida at alarming rates, including by sending clandestine flights in the dark of night. Now, as a state, we cannot be party to what is effectively a massive human smuggling operation run by the federal government. Companies who are facilitating the movement of illegal aliens from the southern border to Florida should be held accountable, including by paying restitution to the state for all the costs they are imposing on our communities. I'm also requesting funds so that when the feds dump people here in Florida illegally, 
The state can reroute them to the states that have sanctuary policies. Florida should not be made to bear the burden of our federal government's lawless open border policies. Did you hear that? Governor DeSantis said that the federal government is running a human smuggling operation. Do you see how simple that truth is? Why are you smuggling kids? Oh, they're just taking the red eye flight. What kind of fucking red eye flight gets out at 3 a.m.? Airports are shut then. We already had this discussion. We already had this discussion. I mean, I was lawfare to the ground. And then one, two, three judges, except for the Supreme Court, right? The Supreme Court said no. Said, now you need to pay the attorney general money. Uh, why? Because he spent money investigating you. Are you fucking kidding me? You, what? What? Thank God the Supreme Court of North Dakota was like, wait, did you just come and ask for fees? Uh, no. Right? This is it. The federal government is working with our money and committing crimes against humanity. Crimes against us. Again, everyone reveals who they are and what their bottom line is, what their nominal fee is to screw their nation over. That's all you have to think of. Their nominal fee to screw your nation over. But don't forget who we had in the White House, who showed us that anyone, anyone can succeed. Do not let anyone ever tell you that you cannot win. No one can take your freedom away. You have to hand it over. Remember that. No one. You have to hand it over. Over 20 years ago, I coined the expression, think big, and it's been a part of my life ever since. I like thinking big. I always have. To me, it's very simple. If you're going to be thinking anyway, you might as well think big. You have to have big ideas, but you've got to have the energy to get them done. It can be a real challenge, but it's absolutely necessary. Ask yourself this question. What should I be thinking about right now? That simple question can restore your focus in no time at all. Look at the solution, not the problem. No matter what you do, you're bound to run into problems. If you let the problems get in your way, they'll become bigger than your idea was to begin with, and you will be a white man. No matter how bad things look, keep your focus on the solution, and you will be surprised how things can work out, and work out properly. See opportunity for what it is, an opportunity. For example, why are you listening to me today? Curiosity? You like me? You don't like me? You want to learn? But whatever your reasons might be, They've brought you to a good place to get involved and to learn. And that's an opportunity right there. I know a lot, but one thing I know is that I don't know everything. So I ask myself this question every day. What can I learn today that I didn't know before? And you know what? I learn something new every single day. That's a big reason for my success, and the same thing can apply to you. Take the time to see today as an opportunity and you'll be surprised by what can come your way. Be open to new ideas and you will be creating your own opportunities before too long. Over the course of your life, you will find that things are not always fair. You will find that things happen to you that you do not deserve. 
and that are not always warranted. But you have to put your head down and fight, fight, fight. Never, ever, ever give up. Things will work out just fine. Never give up. Never, never, never give up. The only time you will be a failure is if you quit trying. Only losers quit. The biggest losers in the world are quitters. Winners keep on going. Look at the way I've been treated lately. Especially by the media. You can't let them get you down. You can't let the critics and the naysayers get in the way of your dreams. Adversity makes you stronger. Don't give in, don't back down, and never stop doing what you know is right. Nothing worth doing ever, ever, ever came easy. And the more righteous your fight, the more opposition that you will face. I will always fight for you. I will be watching, I will be listening, and I will tell you that we will be back in some form. There you go. There you have it. When people tell you no, 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 you can't do that. You have kids. Oh, no, 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 no. You can't do that. We need to do it like this. No, 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 no. Tori, you can't do that. They'll bring up all this shit. Bring it. Nothing, nothing, nothing should stop any of you from standing up. Nothing. Our president told us, and that's what I'm trying to put out there. <laughs> we are the winners. Remember, they're sitting at the top of the pyramid, and we're the ones on our knees supporting them. All you got to do is stand up. They only look like giants because you're on your knees. And that's the way it is. Remember that. I'll see you guys on Sunday for movie night. Too fast to prepare for this. Joining in the world could be deemed your race. Everybody's circling as vulturist. Negative, nepotist. Everybody's waiting for the fallen man. Everybody's praying for the end of times. Everybody hoping they could be the one. I was born to run. I was born for this. Whip, whip, run me like a race horse. Pull me like a rip cord. Break me down and build me up. I wanna be the slip, slip. Word upon your lip, lip. Letter that you rip, rip. Break me down and build me up. Whatever it takes. Cause I love the eternal in my